Mate, it's like fucking gunfire outside my house at the moment. You might want to just pause and let let it finish. It's it's so loud. Fuck me. What a stupid... This was my... I know it was my idea, but what a stupid fucking idea to record on bonfire night. Probably a homeless, 
His name is Cameron, and he's in a mall food court, and he's taking food from tables, and he's scavenging food and cigarettes. And two rude, haughty-toity middle-class women are looking at him and go, Oh, look at that disgusting man over there taking bits of hamburgers out of the bin. They shouldn't let people like that in. Now Cameron, he stares at the lady, and he goes, Sci-fi noise. Falls to the ground convulsing like <laughs> because that's what happens if you're rude to people in public you, you deserve that you shouldn't say that to people you don't know what they've got in their head this man he's got a weapon in his head think on <laughs> I mean he, he really does he's very scary yeah. I feel like you shouldn't be rude to people but m- maybe you don't deserve that Maybe not, no, but it, it's enough to make you think about it, Mark, isn't it? No. So Cameron, he gets pursued through a, a neon-drenched, I'd go so far as to say it was neon-drenched, this uh, very late 70s, early 80s mall. They're chasing him through the mall, and uh, they shoot a dart. <laughs> it hits him in the hand, and he, he keeps running like a, like, like a, like a beast that's, the drug is slowly taking hold of. And he collapses on the escalators. Oh, I mean, when I was a kid, my mum told me never to muck around on the escalators because you'd get sucked into them. My mum would have had a shit fit if she'd have been at that mall. Mm, it was dangerous, it was. Very dangerous. It's high stakes very early on, this, this film, Mark. What, because high of dangerous. the escalator? Everything, mate. The brain, <laughs> the, the dark, the escalator. Danger. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like this film, oh, I, 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 I'm not going to get into it, we get into it every time I like a film, but this film's like actually quite good, and therefore I don't really want to call it Tat. Yeah, but mate, it's got that early 80s Canadian squelch about it, so that, you know, it's got sort of, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best way to describe the, these sort of films, early 80s Canadian squelch. But yeah, it is tap though, mate, if you think about it. We'll get into it, because there are a few points in this film where it does swerve off into the tattyverse. <laughs> okay. Cameron wakes up tied to a hospital bed, and there's a guy there, a beardy man called Dr. Ruth, and he's played, do- not that Dr. Ruth, from off of the telly. No. Uh, from the 80s, no. Dr. Ruth, played by uh, Patrick McGowan from The Prisoner, number six. Mate, I loved, loved The Prisoner. What's the town called, where it is? It's Port Merion, isn't it? Port Merion, yeah. Have you ever been there? Oh, it's lovely. It looks the same. They've deliberately not changed the way it looks for 50 years because of that teleprogram. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, and he's chewing the scenery in this film. He's got a full-on... I think it's a German accent that he's doing all the way through it. I don't care. It's, it's him doing what he wants. And he says, you are 34 years old, Mr. Vale. Why are you such a derelict, a piece of human junk? I tell you why. It's because you, sir, are a scanner. And I can show you how this can be used as a great source of power. Then loads of people walk into the room. Like the room fills up with people, and their mind voices fills up Cameron's head. It's all like chitter chatter, and he's like, no, no, and he's thrashing around on a bird, and the noises are just getting louder and louder and louder, and then eventually, Doctor Ruth gives him an injection, and it all goes quiet, and he says, now we can talk. <laughs> yeah. Concept Corporation, Mark. An, an American corporation. There's a lecture going on. It's a demonstration of the power of the scanners. Now, we saw a little little snippet of what a scanner can do to a middle-aged woman in a, in a mall earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. Yeah, it fries the brains of snooty old women. So, <laughs> as a man on stage, and he's about to do a demonstration, he says, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to demonstrate to you the power of scanning. I'm going to scan all of you people individually and show you how it all works. Don't be scared. Don't be scared, people. But I will need a volunteer. Please, if there's anybody here that would like to volunteer and who stands up, bloody Michael Ironside. I know. Right. That scanner who's doing the scanning, he has got a powerful tash. He 
has got a very powerful tash. And the fact that when he starts doing his scanning and his head shakes, it just emphasises the tash even more. It does. <laughs> so yeah, this is the classic scene. This is the scene that everybody thinks about when they when they think about scanners. It's the the scene where the guy's head explodes at the scanner's demonstration. There's a reason for that Malachi, if that is your real name. It's just iconic, isn't it? And as special effects go, practical effects, it's fucking ace, isn't it? Well-earned love art. It's amazing. Do you know how they actually did that, Mark? Do you know how they got the effect, how, how they actually did it? No, but I would like to know. What they did, Mark, is they filled a uh, prosthetic head with um, glue and bits and things that would look like gooey and paint. Uh, they even put in the rest of the burgers that they were eating for lunch that day, stuffed it in the head. They tried it uh, a few times, just exploding it internally, but it didn't really work. So what the, uh, the guy who did the special effects did was he lay down on the ground with a shotgun and he shot it. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, he shot it with a shotgun. Uh, he got everybody out of the studio and uh, it popped it, and that looked—it just looks amazing. Um, at this point on the podcast, I would like to apologise to our listeners because we were unwise enough to record this on the fifth of November in the evening, which means on both sides of the recording, there's bound to be quite a lot of boomy, boomy noises in a country where you're not supposed to gather in groups and probably shouldn't have fireworks at the moment. Sorry everyone. Sorry. But yeah, security guards grab Ironside and they're like, get him out of here, give him a shot, give him a shot of ephemeral. Ephemeral is the anti-scanner drug that uh, Cameron had at the start of the film. But what clever old Michael Ironside here, what he does is he uses his mind as a weapon. His mind! He coerces the doctor to inject himself Inject himself, Mark, and not Michael Ironside. So the security guards, they cart off Ironside into the back of the car, thinking he's drugged up to the nines. But he's not. He's sober as a judge, mate. He knows exactly what's going on. Compass mentis. This whole kind of scene is so great. The build-up just before the head explosion, where you're, where you're just waiting for something to happen, that was incredible. And the the real kind of malice there's something really I know this is clearly a horror film but there's something really horrific about not being able to control yourself when you were about to do something attacking someone else and doing it to yourself it's just so brilliantly done and yeah it's stuff like this that makes me question its tat status (laughs) I've told you before Mark just because it's tap does not mean it's bad, you know. There's no. a lot of people. We say it. We said it a thousand times. Look at Hands of Steel. That's possibly the greatest story ever told. Quite. <laughs> Quite. They take Ironside into the into a car, thinking that he's been drugged. So there's two cars, one with Ironside in it, and one with two guys with massive 80s tashes and trench coats keeping guard of Ironside's car. But what Ironside does is, because he uses his mind, because he's, he's not been drugged, he takes over the mind of the driver of the security car and just crashes it into a wall and it explodes. So then the car that he's in, obviously the, the security guards that he's with want to check that their mates are all right. So they stop and get out. They get out the car. He then takes control of one of the policemen, shoots the two other people, that makes that policeman shoots himself and then disappears into the night. Oh, it was quick fire love hearts here. Obviously, the explodium car earned a love heart. But also, I'm not that good at spotting good direction. But when I do, I'm like, oh, isn't that good? And just after the guy is forced to shoot people, the windscreen wipers in the background were really eerie. Yeah. Such a great scene. There's a lot of that sort of stuff in this film, and Cronenberg is an amazing, an amazing director. What I liked in this as well, when they do it later on in the film, when they're scanning people and it merges from one face to another, and it's only, it's, it's a really simple sort of like 70s, 60s Star Trek even effect, but it just looks so, so good. I loved it. 
but that's that's the thing about these films, Mark. This is the sort of film that I would have watched in the eighties on a Sunday night. In fact, I did watch it in the eighties on a Sunday night. <laughs> I've just remembered I watched this the day my friend got a Nintendo NES for the first time, and it came with Super Mario Brothers and the ridiculously hard Ninja Turtles game, and uh, we played both of those games to death all day and then Scanners was on TV and that was the first time I saw it. So yeah, it, it just reminds me of this, this it's the little, that's what it is, it's a little capsule of time mark, that's why these things are so, so important. Is that right? Is that what it is? It is to me, it is to me. Nah, fair enough. <laughs> still real to me, damn it. <laughs> still real to you, damn it, okay. <laughs> the next day, at concept, all of the business douches are having having a meeting. The main business douche is smoking a pipe. That's how you can tell he's a main business douche because he's smoking a pipe. Right. Yeah. He says, last night at concept, we chose to reveal to the outside world our work with these telepathic curiosities known as scanners. The result is six dead people and lack of credibility for our company. Now, they're going to have to get in a new head of security, and here he is. Braden Keller. He looks evil as fuck as soon as he walks in. He reminded me of the evil doctor from Reanimator. It's not the same guy, but it really looks like him, doesn't it? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And the company, what they do is they uh, deal in international security, weapons and private armies and stuff like that. You know, so they're not a very nice bunch of lads, really, are they? <laughs> What's a nice way of putting it? Mr. Keller, evil Keller, as soon as he gets there, he's like, I want an end to this scanners program. I want it dropped. I've had enough of you fiddling around with dolphins and freaks. He compares, he calls them dolphins and freaks, which made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> the VIPs that were there last night, they got killed. They were from the political and financial world, obviously. Dr. Ruth says, this audience, where did you get them from? Were they properly screened? And Mr. Killer says, yes, it's a very sophisticated system. And Dr. Root says, and yet an assassin managed to infiltrate the group. How did he do it? We have reason to believe he was using scanning techniques. No shit, Sherlock. He blew up someone's yeah. fucking head. Yeah, so Ruth was like, oh, hang on a minute. So you're, you're, you're telling me he's a scanner? Is that, is that... Okay, well, that's the end of the conversation. That's my response. There you go. I'm telling you. There you go, he's a scanner. Point proven. Okay. <laughs> and they they science sass each other for a bit. And he's like, because they, they want to use scanners as a weapon, Mark. I mean, we live in a corrupt society where who would have thought that someone with the ability to blow up someone's head would be used as a weapon? It's outrageous. <laughs> Dr. Ruth had a list of over 200 known scanners, but as of last night, Mark, none of the scanners work for the corporation anymore. There's nobody there, they're all gone, because they've all become part of a powerful underground scanner network operation led by a bullet hole in the head over there. Daryl Revit, Michael Ironside. This bullet hole, as you're calling it, the, the hole in the forehead thing, I thought was really, really creepy, quite understated and subtle. But when they, they've kind of like pushed their powers, they start to get this mark in their forehead. That was cool and dark and a little bit different, I thought. I really liked it. Love art. I liked it as well. The reason that he's got that scar on his head as well, because they explain later in the film, is he drilled a hole in his head to let out the people. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. Grim. Grim it is, yeah. So, Dr. Ruth has the idea. They say, what are we going to do, Dr. Ruth? There's scanners everywhere. We ain't got any scanners left. They've all gone off and run off with the, the, like, the pirate scanners, the bad lads. What are we going to do? He says, actually, I've found a new one. Cameron, I've got him in a warehouse in a bed. I'll sort it out. I'll bring him in tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to infiltrate Revic's evil scanner group. They're going to train their own scanner up, and they're going to sneak him in. Stealth, the espionage, bang, bang. Dr. Ruth goes back to see Cameron to tell him about the plan to say, we're going to use you as a mole. We're sending you in. 
he explains to everything about uh, scanners. He says they're a freak of nature. They've got a certain type of ESP, telepathy, you know, brain stuff like that. Now, while this is all going on, creepy old Keller is watching them talk on CCTV because he's a right shady bastard. Yeah. <laughs> so... I like how every, everybody's creepy. Even the good guys in this are creepy. And they probably would be in this situation. There's no kind of cookie-cutter, black and white, good and bad, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of nasty going on on both sides, and I kind of like that. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Now, Dr. Ruth explains the situation about Revic, about how, you know, he... He drilled a hole in his head and stuff like that. At 22, he was self-destructive. Now, 10 years later, he's just destructive. That's what <laughs> He'd been going around gathering up all scanners to, to join him on his insane crusade to destroy the world that created him. <laughs> Dr. Ruth says he was looking for you, but I found you first. And that's why you can help me. All the scanners that didn't agree to join him were murdered. Absolutely just killed straight away. He says, and you can change that, Cameron. People can see that scanners are not evil mind-popping freaks. We must stop Revark. Yeah, and um, the whole thing's a bit weird. If you'd been kind of cast out and abused and treated like dirt and left to be like a smear on the pavement... Why would you agree to help this guy? Well, that's it. He's, he's brainwashed him, isn't he? As we find out later, he's a bad lad, this uh, number six. <laughs> number six. Shady Keller goes down into a subway station and he's, he's meeting up with an unseen man, Mark. He says unseen. Unseen. Who it? Mm, I don't know who it is. I wonder who it is. He says they're not ready to stop the program. Ruth has a secret weapon. His name is Cameron. Now, I knew he was a shady bastard all along. I knew he was a shady bastard. And I wonder, I don't know who this mystery man is. We'll find out in time, Mark. Yes. The next scene that we come to is the, uh, he mind spars with the yoga master. <laughs> it doesn't seem fair, really, does it? It doesn't really seem fair. He says... Patrick McGowan says, Welcome to my psychic gymnasium. It says shed with a man sitting on a sitting on a crash mat. And he says, See this fella here? He's like king of the yoga. He's the most unstressable man in the world. I want you to speed up his heart. You could tune in your your scanning abilities to not pop someone's brain, yeah? That's day one, mate. No brain popping today. I want you to speed up a man's heart, you know, a little bit finesse. So he starts doing that, and obviously yoga man starts freaking out. He's like, because <laughs> he takes it too far. Doctor Root, he's, he's about to inject Cameron because he thinks he's gonna he's gonna pop him. He's gonna pop this bloody yoga man, and it just stops it. He goes, no, I do not need the drugs. I am in control. And he stops the scan, and he becomes a normal. Well, I won't say a normal man because this this the guy that plays Cameron is a. It's a strange fella. <laughs> yeah, this whole scene, and what I like about it is how it depicts the unpredictability and explores how painful and damaging it can be when people both scan and get scanned. And it's done in a really tense way that, yeah, I really liked it and it, it felt like... I know you're talking about the shed and stuff, but the actual acting and the scenario it's in was was excellent. It was... I don't like it when you've got, like, powers in films. A lot of the um, superhero films are guilty of this. I don't like it when there seems to be absolutely no consequences to being incredibly powerful. And in this, it really explores how... Yeah, this is crazy and unpredictable and a bit dirty, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, well, that's 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 the uh, the joy of Cronenberg, isn't it? Everything Cronenberg does is a little bit grotty. What a nice way of putting it. You put it in a sentence when I put it in a gigantic paragraph. Well done, Malachi. <laughs> yeah. Sums us both up, doesn't it? 
<laughs> Cameron's first mission is to go and find Benjamin Pierce. He's an artist with a possible link to Revok because he himself is a scanner. Did you recognise the artist, Mark? I didn't, but I thought the art studio was well cool. It was. That's Robert A. Silverman. He was the man in Jason X, you know, when it's like, when he opens up the little drawer, when he calls the guy and he says, oh, you're not talking about Jason Voorhees, are you? And it looks like he's in a drawer on the video call. Oh, right fucking hell. It's him. Why yeah. is this so linked to Jason X? David Cronenberg. Robert Silverman is in a lot of David Cronenberg films. David Cronenberg is friends with James Isaac that made Jason X. That's why they're both in it. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah, Benjamin Pierce is in prison because he tried to kill his entire family at the age of 10, Mark. The age of 10! Obscene, isn't it? Obscene. But he has been rehabilitated through the power of art. And he's doing really well at it. He's got an exhibition on it at the minute, an art gallery, and it's full of like crazy, crazy sculptures. Some fucking ace stuff in that gallery. Mm. Cameron goes to the art gallery to uh, buy a piece because he, he's doing a little bit, a little bit of detective work, Mark. So he's, he speaks to the uh, the guy that runs the gallery and he says, "This piece here, I really like this, but I'm going to have to take it to my apartment in Paris. But I'm not going to buy it unless I can speak to the artist." And the guy says, "No, you can't." He does not meet his public. We've got a deal. This is what we do. He said, well, maybe if you just tell me, you know, I'll find him and you wouldn't be involved. No, no Cameron. That's what he just said he's not going to do. <laughs> so the gallery owner says no, basically, because like, like I just said, that is what you've just said, Cameron. Yeah, because it's right, a dick then. move. That's why to the, they say no. So he says, OK, then, Mr. Gallery Man, why don't you just think about it and he starts thinking about it he scans him mark and his nose bleeds and he gets his address from his brain <laughs> i mean the thing is again the way it portrays it it isn't like a kind of like smooth and gentle kind of it's, just, it's not like a, a mind reading where in, in in films where people don't spot it it, it kind of freaks everybody out it's it's just really nicely done really grotty like you say really grotty yeah really grotty there's a lady at the gallery though mark who's watching interested in cameron then she scans him is she a bad scanner we'll find out but high-pitched synth plays and then cameron's nose bleed as mark says the physical pain of scanning on both sides i love it Benjamin's workshop. Benjamin's workshop is an old barn and it looks amazing. It's another example of a sick pad stroke warehouse flat that somebody has got in an 80s film that probably wouldn't live in that in real life, but I'd love to live somewhere like that. It's amazing. Yeah, it is very cool. Old time scuba suit, stuff like that, knocking around. like It's like the Batcave, Mark. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd like to live in the Batcave as well, truth be told. Well, true, true. Who wouldn't? Cameron tells Ben that he needs his help. He, ben is sitting up on a big mezzanine on a comfy chair next to a standard lamp. And he starts laughing at him manically. He's like, <laughs> he says, I think you're in big trouble, chum. And he is. <laughs> yeah, Cameron says to him, I heard you know Darren Revick. And he's like, who are you? Coming in here, asking questions. Outside, a truck pulls up with people with guns, with shotguns. They approach the barn. Shit. Ben says, I was told you were coming here, Mr. Vale. I have friends. I don't want them, but I have them. And Cameron says, Scanner friends. And Ben goes, huh? Looks at him. He's like, Why? Well, he's, he's on to me. And he, this is the bit where Ben goes and sits inside a giant head sculpture with a sofa inside of it. That was. <laughs> <laughs> it looks really comfy inside got a big sofa it looks really good really good he says tell me what you really want the, while he's saying this the gun people are approaching from outside Mark and he, he tells Cameron he says my art keeps me sane you know that's it that's why he doesn't do no scanning because he's building big heads and he's knocking about with a scuba man 
I mean, it's pretty deep. Pretty deep, that. Our art keeps us sane during lockdown, remember? Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot to be said about this film. I don't know where to get too deep into it. There's, there's a lot of... I don't know whether this is something to do with mental health, uh, something like that, because there's a lot of sort of uh, things pointing towards that, about the, uh, the stigma that would have been attached to mental health problems in the late 70s, mm. you know? I think there's also the element of exploring incredibly powerful people who are being horribly, horribly oppressed. It's quite like the X-Men in that way, but I feel like it does yeah. it in a grottier way than the X-Men does. Yeah. Now, the gun people, they burst in and they shoot the shit out of the studio. There's paint going everywhere. They shoot Ben in the back as he's trying to run away. Cameron is luckily safe inside the big giant head. <laughs> when you say it's it like that, the way you described it suggests that the scene isn't tense because it's silly. But it isn't. It's really, really tense. And I was on the edge of my seat throughout this whole bloody film, to be honest with you. It's a thriller, Mark. It's an edge-of-your-seat thriller. It but is. Yeah, you get some serious, wide-eyed face acting here from the guy who plays Cameron. He starts scanning the people and throwing them about the room with his head. <laughs> it's really good. It is. There's a hell of a death count in this film, actually. Oh, God, I dread to think. We never really do death counts. We should probably pick, uh, bring that in at some point. But, yeah, there's a lot in this one. So he's, he's scanning the barnyard assassin's mind, flicking from person to person, and their heads are just melting. It's, it's really good. It's grim. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, and then he throws them all over the place with his mind and fries their bad brains. And then he emerges from the giant broken head, but he's all right. Ben, on the other hand, is not all right because he's been shot all over the place. Cameron goes to see him and he's talking in a gurgly space voice. Now, this must be the voice that they hear when they're scanning people. Gurgly space talk. Bubbly, 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 bubbly. That was a beautiful impression, Malachi. I'm in awe of babbity, babbity, babbity. Cameron connects with him and he gets the name Kim, Kim Overist, and then he just drops dead. Well, he's been fucking shot. Are you surprised? No, no. Just sorry, it just it came across like you were surprised that he died. Just because he's got head scanny powers doesn't mean he's made of metal. This isn't actually the X Men. <laughs> Cameron's walking the night streets, the city streets at night. He's out looking for this Kim that he found the name of inside Brian's mind. <laughs> he walks up to a building, knock knock on the door. He says, "I'm looking for Kim, the man who answered the door." Palms out eyes closed, scans him, and he goes, my god, they killed Ben. <laughs> the scanning doorman lets him into the house, leads him upstairs to meet the girl from the gallery who scanned him and made his nose bleed earlier on. So there are no. good guys scanners, Mark. There, there are. are. It's, it's, it's almost like it's supposed to be representative of, like, stuff where it, like, represents stuff and stuff yeah stuff it's, it's um it is definitely stuff it goes Mama. deep it goes deep into people's perceptions of prejudice and no they just wanted a hot scanner chick didn't they yeah well who doesn't <laughs> <laughs> but yeah these are the scanner good guys but Mark, Revok, old, old Drillhead is outside. Shit, he's doing scanning. This is the bit where he does the, the crossfade from his face to the face of his minions. Because he's like, right, they're in there. He's telling them in, the, in his mind. <laughs> Inside, the good scanners are all sitting in a circle, connecting their minds. And the two assassins from earlier on are back and they're in the building. First off, they chuck the dude down the stairs that answers the door. Oh, gone. Gone on the bottom. They burst into the room and they just fucking shoot everyone. It's... There's something to be said about the brutality of this film. It does not pull its punches. No, no. They burst into the room and they shoot like three or four people. Kim starts screaming, and she screams a scam scream, Mark, and they all just, all, the two baddies burst into flames. Good. They were yeah. mean. 
and the survivors escape from the burning building into a minibus and they drive into the night. But yeah, it's a very, I tell you what the word is, Mark, visceral. Yes, it is visceral. You are accurate. Inside the truck, Cameron is telling this guy that his story to these guys is saying, I was found by concept, but they didn't tell me anything about you lot. I don't, Who are you? What's going on? Just as he says that, a blacked out truck pulls up next to them and just opens fire and just kills everybody in the van, apart from Kim and Cameron. <laughs> How fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> The minibus crashes headfirst into a brightly neon-lit record shop and it lands on its side and they escape into the basement. The minibus then sets on fire and starts burning down the shop. I just noticed that there was a lot of Frank Zappa records in this shop. Did you notice? I didn't, but do you... I mean, product placement is very much a thing in America. Surely Frank Zappa can't have paid for product placement. I'm not sure, Mark, but he's there. I saw it. Do you like Frank Zappa? I am a big fan of Frank Zappa, yes. I, I can't get me head round it. It's, it. it's just... I understand that it's important and that it's good and it's well respected. I just... I just can't get me head round it. That's that's the power of the jazz, mate. Is that that's right? Yeah. <laughs> Another one of Revox's shady assassins is there and he's on the trail and he follows our heroes downstairs with a big fuck-off gun. Kim says to Cameron, Nothing can stop Revok now. We are the dream, and he is the nightmare. That's a line. Yeah, it, it is. But Cameron wants to help. He wants to destroy Revok together. Now the gunman enters. Cameron scans him. Straight away. And he starts, he falls down. He's like, ah, And he makes him, he says, You must have something that belongs to Revok. And the gunman hands him a vial of drugs and it's got a logo on it. Now that logo is for the Biocarbon Amalgamate is the name of the company. It's a mouthful. But yeah, that's where it leads them to a lab, to a science lab with people in white coats like in the blob and at the end of E.T. when he goes all grey and flaky. Yeah, it's all a little bit conspiracy theory, isn't it? I don't like a conspiracy theory in real life, but I do like a conspiracy theory film. Oh yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good. But Cameron, he's he's in there, he's in disguise, he's a wily man, and he's wearing one of those one of those paper suits, like the blob people. And he's watching Revox sign shady papers in his office. Ugh. The terminal next to him displays details of a drug delivery, but also something called the RIPE program. What is the RIPE program? He tries to access the files, but it's restricted. No getting in the mainframe for you yet, Cameron. You'll have to wait for that. <laughs> Cameron calls Dr. Ruth. Dr. Ruth, did you notice when he calls Dr. Ruth? Dr. Ruth says, I've missed you. <laughs> I noticed that Dr. Ruth was laid back as fuck, like super chill, despite all the crazy that's going on. Yeah, he's just asleep. <laughs> just proper chill. It's, it's like he's in his little club in his smoking jacket with his pipe. He says, I've made a breakthrough with Revox. I want to come in, and I've got an informant from Revox Group. <laughs> See, he's got a plan, Mark. He's got a cunning plan. Clearly. Uh, more cloak and dagger subway shenanigans going on with Shady Keller downstairs. The unseen man, mate. You can see him now. Who the bloody hell is it? Malachi. <laughs> it's Michael Ironside. It's only been Michael Ironside this whole bloody time. Who'd have fucking thunk it? Oh my god, so no wonder. No wonder there's a rat in there at Consec. He's, oh, he's got his fingers in the pie, Mark. His fingers are in the pie. And he tells Keller, if Ruth finds out anything, anything at all, just kill him. Bim, bim, bim. It's not very subtle, is it? No, no, it's not very subtle. Kim and Cameron arrive at Concept in a helicopter and they're surrounded by people that look like they're wearing Nazi costumes with guns and they both get injected as soon as they land, as soon as they get out of the helicopter. Have a bit of that. No scanning for you guys. No scanning in here. Dr. Ruth says to Keller, I told you that this would be all dandy. Keller says this amazing line, which I loved, which is, let's save the party till we've opened the Christmas presents. <laughs> it's a good line. This film is actually really good. 
And normally, well, the films that you pick, I enjoy them because they're weakly plotted but have good special effects, or they make no sense but they're just fun. This is just an excellent film. I, I, I won't have it that this is chat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've tried to explain this to you a number of times, Mark, how it works. <laughs> okay. Keller tells Ruth that he's taking the informant, Kim, and he says, I'm taking her, I'm going to get the information out of her. And he says, do what you want with Cameron. He's no use to us now. Get rid of him. This Keller lad is a bad lad. It's brutal. Brutal. Kim is in the other room being interrogated, and Cameron is now back with Dr. Roof. Dr. Roof tells him that the shots that they were given when they arrived are harmless. It was just a ruse so that he can use his scanning power whilst inside the facility if he needed it. Of course it was. Why didn't we see that coming? Of course he was going to do that. Hmm. Cameron asks Ruth about the shady lab where uh, they saw Revok and all the people in the ET suits earlier on. Turns out, he says, oh, they've got this shady lab. Do you know anything about that? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, as it goes. Um, I sold them that lab in the 1940s, 1942. And that's why I'm here now. I'm sort of connected to Concept now. He says, do you know what they're doing down there at that place? He says, oh, it's been so long that I can't really remember what it is that they do down there. <laughs> As far as I know, it's got something to do with chemical chemical warfare, something like that. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> he says, no, mate, they're making ephemeral, you know, the, the anti-scanning drug. And do you know who's making it? Michael Bloody Ironside. He says, no, that's impossible. It, 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 it's impossible. It's not impossible, mate. I've seen him signing shady papers. Revoc is in control of the situation. Now... Number six does not look impressed. His acting face says disbelief. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it gets things so right, but then occasionally you're like, uh. <laughs> he says, I've seen him. I snuck in there and I saw him signing stuff in the control room. The drug production is computerised because we live in the 80s and it's being made and sent oot all over the place in huge tankers. Fuck's sake. He says, sent oot? Sent oot where? He says, all over the place. But the answers are inside your computer in a programme that controls it all, called RIPE. Yeah? Meaning someone here, in concept, is a traitor. So it's that much of a traitor that it's a traitor. A traitor! Yeah, that's it. You, you've seen it. That's acting, Mark. That is top quality acting. Ruth asks Cameron, he says, can you hack this mainframe? Can you get into the right program? He says, no, I don't have clearance. But this is science logic here, Mark. He says, no, but you do have a nervous system. And so does the computer. But, 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 but it doesn't, because people and computers are different. No, they're not, Mark. He says, you, if you can scan a human, you can scan a computer, because they're basically the same thing. Right. <laughs> so, I think I've, I've realised where you're coming from on this film being tat, because up to this point, it was clever, intelligent, gritty, grubby sci-fi. And this was fucking lazy. Now, you know, now he can access a computer with his mind. He hacks a computer with his mind. Oh, it's good stuff, though, Mark. It's good stuff. Oh, it's still good stuff, but after everything else was so sophisticated, I was like, uh... Keller is interrogating Kim next door, and she's been rumbled, mate. The baddies know that she's not from the bad scanner gang at all, and that she's, like... From the main good scanner gang. Revox people are everywhere, she says to uh, evil Keller. But Keller says, he turns around, Mark, and he says this. He says, to be honest, Kim, the only one around here you should be afraid of is me. And he reveals himself as the bad lad to her. And he slaps her like that. Just like that. Just like that, <laughs> yeah. He pulls a gun on her and says, why are you here? But she begins to scan him. <laughs> And she escapes from the room. Keller raises the alarm. Kim has gone out. Now Cameron and Ruth are out in the hallway. He says, that must be Kim. This alarm must be for Kim. It's no, no other way. 
I'm going to go and find it. But Dr. Moose says, no, the computer is more important. Cameron says, bollocks to the computer. I'm going to go and find Kim. This, this is an odd scene here. When Dr. Ruth starts thinking really hard to himself about the RIPE program, and he starts going, access the past. Access the past. And then the, whole, the next sort of ten minutes are him thinking to himself really loudly. <laughs> <laughs> the loud thinking of Dr. Ruth goes a little bit like this. He goes, it mustn't happen again. It's always been there inside me. Lurking away in the dark, sucking out my joy, rotting my success. Cameron, oh Cameron, I have a way with you. Cameron, it mustn't happen again. Rife, rife indeed. The ripe program must be stopped. He's <laughs> <laughs> gone bonkers, Mark. He's gone bonkers. Clearly. Then he says, this isn't the same as before. The first time was an accident. What's he mean, Mark? What's he on about? Fortunate for some, but unfortunate for others. Tense strings play. Keller enters the room. Bang! He shoots Dr. Ruth dead. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed the uh, the falling apart of Patrick McGee there. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah, and I think... The whole thing was supposed to be a little bit weird and a little bit trippy, and I thought it worked. Yeah, it's good, really good. Cameron hears a high-pitched noise in his head and he grabs it. It's like a disturbance in the force, Mark. His master is dead, like Star Wars. Uh, how is it like Star Wars? Uh, because Obi-Wan Kenobi got killed. Well, <laughs> yeah, but... Okay. Kim and Cameron are back together and they fry two security guards' brains. They force one of the security guards to have hallucinations of his own disappointed mother. Harsh. He's going, I'm sorry, Mum. I'm sorry. It's just crazy. I feel like this sort of thing's really quite imaginative. I like how there are different ways to torture different people. I think it works. I think it's fun. Well, as yeah. fun as it can be to watch torture. Exactly, yeah. Keller runs out and he says to the security guards, what's going on? And say, the scanners, sir, they're out. And it literally goes, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Mark, do you you remember the Dreamcast? We play a lot of computer games, don't we? You remember the Dreamcast? Yeah. The fun little feature about the Dreamcast was you could just connect that to the internet just by plugging it in the phone line. Yeah. Yeah. Now Cameron, he pulls a bit of a Dreamcast here, he phones up the computer and connects to the computer down the phone line. He's in the mainframe, Mark, but with his brain, he thinks really, really hard at the computer and uh, locks it from the inside so the baddies can't get in. So the whole telephone link to a computer thing, this is 1981. It's a little bit tomorrow's world, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think we need to give it some credit here for basically predicting the internet. <laughs> predicting the internet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back in the control room, some science poindexters noticed that there is literally somebody inside the files now. Said so how could this happen? This is max security. Mind hacking, mate. Mind hacking is how it happened. That's exactly what's going on here. Cameron's brain is in the computer, drinking its details down like pink wine, Mark. You do like your pink wine, don't you, dear? I do like the pink wine. Keller realises what's going on and he says, It's him! It's Vale! He's inside the bloody computer! It's got to be him! And I want to hurt him! He turns around to the science guy and he says, How can we hurt him? His nervous system is clearly connected to the computer's nervous system. That's obvious! How can we destroy him? And the science guy says, Maximum security self-destruct, mate. Blow all the circuits. Fry them both. That is science. He says, do it. Do it now. But the result will equal it. All of their data being lost, Mark. Everything from concept will be forgotten. But Cameron will be dead. Mate, those stakes, they just get higher and higher, don't they? Like it does. And speaking of which, the science guys get really nervous. It's just like, it's just... We, we can just switch off the computer. He says, ha, no one's ever switched off a scanner before. And then the countdown starts. 
five, four, three, two, one. Cameron holds his head as the computer destroys itself on the inside. He's going like that. And then the phone line bursts into flames. <laughs> and it's coming along the phone line, Mark, like a, like an evil sparkler. Very apt for this evening. And, See, you know, what happens next, funnily well, enough... Did earn a love heart because you know who doesn't want to see an explodium 80s computer? Oh well, that's the thing. The science guy says I told you this was perfectly safe. Bang! <laughs> <laughs> the whole control room explodes, and he goes straight out the window, defenestrating himself. The computer is burning, Mark, and so is Cameron's mind. Sparks from the telephone line land in some petrol in a garage. Explosions. Mate, Explodium Pecky Station. These are the things that dreams are made of for me. It is. I bet you enjoyed this. The last ten minutes of this film was like a little bit of a cream dream for you, wasn't it? Everything just exploded. I mean, spoilers for the end of the show, but this whole film was a bit of a cream dream for me. It's got everything I like. It's got sci-fi. It's got practical effects. It's got Explodium. It's got some stuff that's quite thoughtful. It's grubby. Mate, yeah? Good times? Good stuff. Now, it's so hot, Mark, that the handset begins to melt in Cameron's hands. Ugh, gooey. Everything is exploding, either end of the telephone. And then, the phone box explodes. <laughs> Mate, just explodium after explodium. It's good times. Yeah, that's it. The mainframe is now fucked, but it doesn't matter because Cameron's legged it with Kim. They've managed to get away. But what he discovered when he was connected to the mainframe, that the, the RIPE program is a list of doctors. Hmm. A list of doctors around America. So they go to the first doctor on that list, and that is Dr. Frame. They go into his office. Cameron goes in to see the doctor. Kim waits in the waiting room. But while Kim is waiting in the waiting room, she gets scanned by an unborn baby. Which is really fucking dark, actually. It is, yeah. It turns out what the list is, is a list of doctors that have been prescribing people the scanner drug to create a new army of scanners in the future. It's all bad juju, mate. Really bad juju. It, but I know it's not quite the same, but it kind of made me think that this is something quite similar to like a psychic thalidomide. There was no understanding about what it did, and it, it wasn't really consensual with the people using it, it yeah it just it really really fucking dark yeah really dark yeah tim gets shot with a tranquilizer dart cameron pulls it out and they make a run for it but kim passes out and then revik turns up and darts cameron <laughs> blackness back at the shady lab cameron wakes up in uh, michael ironside's office on the sofa and he's like where's kim he's like don't worry about that she's in the next room should be awake in the next couple of hours. Michael Ironside tells Cameron that Keller died during the computer explosion. And he says, good, yeah, I'm, I'm happy he died. He deserved to. He killed Dr. Ruth. He was a great man. Michael Ironside then drops the bomb on Cameron. He drops the bomb. He says, I tried to guide you to me. I took care of you. He's like, why would you do that, Michael Ironside? Why would you do that? He says, who's your mother, Cameron? He says, I don't know. He says, who's your father? He says, I don't know. What's your first childhood memory? He says, I don't know. Cameron remembers nothing. And it's no accident, Mark, he doesn't remember anything. Because it turns out, Dr. Ruth, don't, don't, is your father. <gasps> and you said this isn't like Star Wars. What are you on about? Good point. Well made. I, I quite liked that twist. I, I, it, it works for me. Yeah, but yeah, it turns out Dr. Ruth, he's been doing the same thing as the ripe list is doing now. He was injecting on people, including his own wife. His own wife. And his wife gave birth to Michael Ironside, and he's a very powerful scanner. So yeah, it's been his whole, it's been his fault the whole time. He did this at the start. That's impossible! <laughs> <laughs> that was a beautiful impression. Yeah. <laughs> he says, you're my brother, Cameron. My kid brother. He says, no. He says, sit down. I want to show you something. And he tells him the truth. Ruth was giving the drugs to his wife. Bad science gone worse, Mark. That is what it is. Bad science. 
gone worse. Disgraceful. And I thought that Dr. Ruth was a laid-back, beardy guy. Well, he's got a lot of skeletons in that cupboard, mate. A whole generation of scanner soldiers are out there. And Reebok wants to find them all and lead them. He says, I want to bring the normals to their knees and build an empire like Star Wars. <laughs> all right, you've made your point. You've compared the film to Star Wars and have a relatively strong argument. Fine. <laughs> Cameron's not having it though. He's not having it at all. He says, You sound just like him. You sound like our evil dad. And he says, No! He says, No! I am Darren Revok! Shouts really loud. And then, Mark, we get Mind Fight! They have a fucking mind fight. It's amazing. I loved the fucking mind fight. Yeah. Cameron picks up a statue off of the desk and he clocks, clocks Michael Ironside with it. And he says, All right. We're going to do it the scan away now. I'm going to suck your brain dry. <laughs> Good. And it's amazing. Cameron's veins start to expand as he's being scanned and his face starts bleeding. I'll tell down. you what, that veins effect was so good. It was. Really, really good. Big time love heart. Big time love heart. He centres himself and he stands there with, with his palms out and fire comes out of it. And then Reebok's face goes all veiny and he starts to melt Cameron. Big sense. <laughs> Cameron's head looks like it's going to pop, but then he reverses the mind attack. Palms upwards, fire in them. He's become one with the force like Scanner Jesus or Optimus Prime. <laughs> Scanner Jesus. <laughs> yeah, Scanner Jesus or Optimus Prime. Okay. You know, at the end of uh, the Transformers movie, Transformers the movie, and they, it's about the uh, the Matrix, and they give it, it's been the wrong time, wrong person on the time. It's for Rodimus Prime, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Cameron bursts into, <laughs> Cameron bursts into flames. Revok pulls some amazing faces in this scene. But nothing is as good as the calm eyes of Cameron as they pop and explode and then they melt. Mate, just yeah. wow with the eyes. That was so grim. Obviously love heart, but oh, what an effect, man. What a fucking effect. Yeah, and that's it. He does. He, he melts him. And uh, Ironside's gone full scanner now, looking like he does on the front cover of the video. Yep. Yeah. Kim wakes up to find the crispy body of Cameron just there on the floor because, you know, he's just dead, like crispy on the floor, but it's okay, Mark, because he used his mind to body swap and he is now inside the body of Revok. He stands up and he says, it's me, Kim. We won. We won. And then the film ends. It's a weird fucking ending, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It is, yeah. But it's a fucking great film. It led to a lot of sequels. There's Scanners 1, 2, and 3, and then there's Scanner Cop 1, 2, and 3 as well. See, I've seen none of those. Are they good? Scanner Cop. I've watched the first Scanner Cop, and it was actually pretty good. It's Man. pretty much you'd imagine it would be. <laughs> well, yeah. is it on the list? Uh, it is on the list, Mark. Scanner Cop is on the list for future episodes, so don't worry, guys. Scanner Cop is coming. But that's later on in the future. Mark, what did you think of this week's film, Scanners? This film was gritty, grim, brutal, graphic, fast-paced, and just tense as fuck. And I remember loving it when I was really young for the head explosions and the kind of sci-fi world. But sitting back and watching it, yeah, okay, there's some questionable plot choices, but this film's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's a, it's an absolute banger, this one. A really good one. Stars? Oh, mate, all of the stars. All of the stars. Yeah, I love this one. It's a childhood favourite, but I've not seen it for years, but um, really, really enjoyed it. We hope that you have enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us this week on Super Tap Film Club. Please remember to like, subscribe, pass it on. You can talk to Fletcher on Twitter. You can talk to me on Instagram. 
go and join our Patreon. Give us a couple of quid. That would be nice. Um, I mean, they can talk to me on those things as well. I just don't run the Super Tap stuff. No, yeah, you can talk to Magic Mark on those things as well, but he doesn't do the Super Tap stuff. So no. go find Magic Mark on, on Twitter and all that. Yeah, of course you but thank you for joining us this week please check out the Patreon don't forget to check out our friends because especially what you're trapped in the house we're all making this stuff for you for free so uh, show people of Laser Graves Bad Taste Video Neon Brainiacs and all them shenanigans all them lovely fellas Mm. show them a bit listen uh, to my podcasts as well you know I've got other podcasts some of them are quite serious but some of them are daft have a look at Shipwrecked and Comatose, that one's about Red Dwarf. Have a look at Right in the Childhood, that one's about kids' telly. And, you know, have a listen. Also, I interviewed Malachi J. Matthews and Hollywood Fletch on my very serious podcast recently. That's Life's Milestones. If you've got this on your fucking Spotify or your fucking Apple, you can find my shit on those things too. Yeah, you can. That's the joys of modern technology. Thank you for joining us this week on Super Tap Film Club, and we will see you next time when we will not be recording in the middle of a fireworks display. Fuck off, there's nothing to celebrate.